There's an old uh, happy song, probably 30, 40 years old. I'm not sure, actually. Uh, in words goes something like, uh, you ask me why I'm happy, so I guess I'll tell you why. My sins, my sins are gone. <laughs> All because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. And I think about that when I come to this table. My sin, all of all of all of my sin has been dealt with. Scripture reading today comes from Matthew chapter 7 verses 16 through 20. In the Sermon on the Mountain, Jesus makes uh, this statement, By their fruits you will recognize them. <clears throat> Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, or a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. Would you pray with me once again? Father, we thank you for um, your word. We thank you for the power that there is in your word. We thank you for how it can challenge us and open our minds to to new things that you have for us, how it, it gives us new understanding and encourages us, Lord, and helps us. Thank you, Lord, that it reveals to us things we could never discover on our own. It, it shows us truth. Uh, it shows us reality, Lord, and you, and you in your grace, you put it in ways in which we can begin to grasp it. And so as we gather around your word today, we ask that you would do for us that very thing, that you would open our hearts and our minds to what we look at today and that we would know that we've heard from you, that, that the voice we hear speaking would not be mine, but but your voice, Lord, and... Um, when we hear you speak, it is my prayer for every one of us here that we would embrace your word and we would endeavor to put it into practice in our lives. And we ask it all in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So we uh, have just spent some time uh, around the Lord's table, uh, communion, the Lord's Supper, and really all over the world today, and especially today, uh, people were doing likewise. Uh, the first Sunday of the month, there are many churches observe that as a particular Sunday for the Lord's Supper. Others do it every week, some do it once a month. But all over the world, people like us and not like us, people that speak English or American version of English or speak another language, people who dress differently or people who dress like we do, people all over the world uh, are doing and have done exactly what we just finished. Uh, And yet we are one family no matter where we are we are all christians and and it is one of the things which all of us as christians do and we may think of this lord's supper in in uh, different ways we may observe it at different times and frequencies as i've mentioned that we may we may even use different elements which uh, are the symbols of his body and blood but uh, we all observe it or at least know we ought to and it was Jesus himself who who took that Passover meal that feast of his Jewish people and he invested it with the fullness of its meaning and see the Passover commemorated the uh, the blood of a slain lamb that was put on the door posts and lentil of the house so that the angel of 
death would pass over the Israelites. And Jesus was the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. His body was broken for us. His blood was shed for you and I so that we could be delivered from eternal death. He died in our place. He tasted death for every one of us. And yet three days later, death couldn't hold him, right? It could not hold him. It could not keep him. His body was as cold as the stone that it lay upon. But on that third day, he rose from the dead. And the stone was rolled away, you understand, not to let him out, but to let us in so that we could see that that tomb was empty. And he is with the Father now, but he is coming again. And that is more good news for us. Now, this is the Christian story. This is our message summarized in a simple way. It's, it's on this that you and I, if we're believers, have staked our lives and eternity. And the Lord's Supper simply reminds all us of all of that. And when we observe it, we do three things. I, I mention this all the time because to me it's very helpful. We remember That is, we remember what Christ has done for us on the cross. And we proclaim just the observance of the Lord's Supper as a way of saying to the world that we believe in what Jesus Christ has done. And we also look forward to his return. He is coming again. And we look forward to that day. And what a great day it will be for us. And it is towards his return that I want us once again to direct our thoughts this morning. So we have for many months now, we have looked at some of some of what the scriptures teach about that return. And for the last few weeks, we have been asking and answering the question, am I ready for that day? And that question very much means what is in my heart? And Jesus himself, in teaching about those end times, brought those two ideas together. He very much wants us to know not just how he was coming back and what that would look like, but he wants us to be ready for that day. And so he gave a series of parables by which we could examine ourselves. We could look at those parables and use them as a kind of gauge to see whether we're really in the faith or not. And um, we've looked at three of the parables that he used, and from those three parables, we've seen that people who really have put their faith in Jesus Christ long for his return. Uh, Maybe not every day, and certainly there are times when we really do want some other things to happen before he comes back, but in our hearts, in, in our heart of hearts, we know that it would be the very best thing in the world if uh, Jesus would come back, the best thing that could ever happen to us. And we certainly don't want to avoid that. And we also saw in another parable how the believer spends his or her life for the Savior using their time and their talents and their gifts, their abilities, their resources to advance God's kingdom on earth. And again, we, none of us do that perfectly, but there has been, since Christ has come into our hearts, a change in our direction. And our life now is characterized by an investment into God's kingdom. And then last week, we saw that those who belong to Christ love 
those who belong to Christ and do good to them, coming to their aid when they're in need. And every one of our acts of compassion shown to a follower of Christ, because he or she is a follower of Christ, it's as if we had done that act to Christ himself. And that is a wonderful and sobering reality that we all need to know. Now those things characterize the believer, all of them together, uh, not just one or two of them, all of them. And if those things are present in your life, then you pass the test. You're in the faith. The unbeliever really has no faith, so they fail that test. They may be part of this church or, or some other church, or they may simply claim to be a Christian. They may fool everyone but God, but God doesn't want them to fool themselves. And if they will look at themselves honestly, they'll know the truth. You see, he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to faith. Now, we have one more parable to look at, and it's the one which Jesus began with, the one which introduced all the others that we've already looked at this morning, and it, too, contrasts the faithful with the unbeliever, and it's found once again in the Gospel of Matthew, but this time in chapter 24, where we're going to consider verses 44 through 51. So I want you to join me there now, please, in your Bibles, if you have them. Uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse 44 and following. So in this parable, Jesus has just finished talking about the end times and his return. And he makes this statement in verse 44. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So as believers, we know that Jesus is going to return, and we want that to happen. Uh, We just don't know when that'll happen. I mean, it it may, we may have some idea of the season. Uh, I mean, we're told that that day shouldn't come on us uh, unawares, and many of us, and I do mean us, I'm including me in that statement, many of us think that we are right on the cusp of the return of Christ now. But we just don't know the day and the hour. There is an unexpectedness about it. So let me see if I can help describe that to you a little bit. Imagine that you are playing baseball, right? And you're in the field. Maybe you're in the outfield. Maybe you're playing shortstop or some other position. And the, and the batter's up, right? And the pitch is thrown, and it's a ball. And then another pitch is thrown, and it's a swing and a miss. And then all of a sudden, he tags that ball. And of all the places that it could go in that ballpark, it comes right at you. As you've been expecting it, yet you just didn't know when it would happen. There was an unexpectedness about that whole thing. And in that same way, Jesus Christ himself will come at an hour which we just quite don't expect. Like that ball player doesn't expect. He knows it could come, but doesn't know just now or how. The same thing is true for us. And so for us as believers, it's going to be a good thing when that happens. I mean, Jesus himself tells us that. 
But before we look at that, um, we're going to consider what that day is going to mean to the unbeliever, to those who have never really put their faith or their trust in Jesus Christ and what he's done for them on the cross, though they may claim for themselves the title of Christian. Jesus talks about that kind of person, and when he does so, he gives us some insight into his or her heart. And what we find there when we look there is a kind of a cold, calculating attitude towards sin. And so beginning in verse 48, we read this. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master's staying away a long time. And then he begins, and Jesus goes on from there to tell us what he or she does. But what we see here in that short phrase that we read is a kind of cold calculation. You see, a person like that thinks this. They think, uh, I've got time. I, I can do what I want to do. And what that person wants to do is sin. And maybe that calculation appears in the form of uh, thinking this, well, no one's looking right now. And no one will see if I take that piece of jewelry or that wallet or that money. Or or maybe it comes in the form of, I just want a little bit of fun. It won't hurt anybody if I sleep around, and and I'll be so careful and no one's going to know. Or or maybe the person thinks, "Ah, saying the thing I said about my coworker, well, that's what you have to do to get ahead in this world. And behind all of those thoughts, behind every one of them, it is a thought that that day of reckoning is not here yet. I have time and I can do what I want. Now, of course, all of us sin, every one of us. Um, we all do things we're not supposed to do. And sometimes the truth of the matter is we even do them in a cold and calculating way. But sooner or later, if we're a believer, we, we feel that conviction for our sin and we turn from it, we repent and, and we turn back to Christ and turn from our sin. And that, that cold calculating attitude towards sin doesn't describe our way of life but it does describe the wicked person's life and I want you to make no mistake here Um, we're not talking about Jesus is not talking about someone who has lost his or her salvation or is in the danger of losing it the person Jesus is talking about here he characterizes as wicked Uh, they, they have never at this point, put their faith in Christ. They have never belonged to him. And and I want to tell you that if you are here today, and if you see yourself, and you realize that this is describing you, I want to tell you, you don't have to remain in that state. You see, the whole point of this parable is to be ready for when Christ comes. He hasn't come yet, so... That's not a reason to sin or to continue to sin. It's a time for you to repent before all is lost. Now the parable goes on and reveals two more things about the heart of the wicked. First, they aren't sympathetic to believers. Actually, they're hard-hearted to them. And their real friendship is a friendship with the world. And so we read again, beginning in verse 48. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, <clears throat> my master's staying away a long time. 
And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. Beating his fellow servants means that he or she simply is hard-hearted toward them. Instead of meeting their needs, instead of giving them the food and drink that they're supposed to receive, instead of feeding them or clothing them or caring for them or visiting them as we saw last week, they simply mistreat them. And there is no real sympathy in their heart for Christians. I have to tell you, I think that attitude is prevalent in our culture today. You know, people hear about the persecution of believers around our world, and they don't even bat an eye. Many of them think, they may not say it, but many of them think, well, they deserve it. They ought to keep their mouth shut or mind their own business or get out of that place while the getting is good, not realizing that most people in our world can't afford to do something like that. There simply is no sympathy. Instead, there's a hard heart. And then eating and drinking with the drunkards reveals that their real friendship is a friendship with the world. See, it's not the fellowship of believers the wicked person relishes. It's the company of other wicked people. They are in their own element then. And and it is from that, that element, that wickedness, that Christ will rescue them if they call on his name. But if they don't call on Christ, if they don't ask for forgiveness, <clears throat> if they continue on their own way, and then verses 50 and 51 tell us their end, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour when he is not aware of, and what a day of terror that will be for the unbeliever when Christ comes in glory with all his holy angels with him and sits on that throne of glory, separating the sheep from the goats. There will be for the unbeliever only fear and anguish then, and all joy and peace will flee away. And then, as the text goes on to say, he will cut them to pieces. That is, they will be completely undone. And he will assign him a place with the hypocrites. That is, he will put them in their place, and all of their scheming and conniving will be revealed for what it is, for the light will reveal it. A place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All that will be left to them is sorrow and pain. I have to tell you, in a sense... They went there with their eyes wide open. They thought they could play with fire without getting burnt. They were warned, but they thought they could get away with it. You know, only, only the lost think like that. No one ever gets away with anything. You can be forgiven. Well, that's not the same thing as getting away with it. And I have to tell you, if this describes you, you know it. There is no doubt in your heart if this describes you. There may be denial. You may not want to admit it. You may not want to face the facts, but you know. And maybe, just maybe, you're a little bit angry with me right now for saying these things. Well, I just want to remind you, these are not my words I'm just a messenger but it's not too late 
Not yet. You can still turn away from your sin. You can still turn to the Savior. Jesus is going to come again or you will go to him. Death will take you. At an hour you are not expecting. So repent while you still can. For the rest of us, for the rest of us, the return of Christ will be good. That's what Jesus says. And he tells us about believers beginning in verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time. Now, at first glance, when you read that, you might think that this is talking about pastors and teachers who feed the flock of God, right? And it certainly does include them. But this is a parable, and it really represents all believers. See, what we know is this, is that every believer has been given resources to be used in the care of other believers. Is he being put in charge simply means this, that that we, all of us, in some sense, are responsible for our fellow believers. Christ entrusts each one of us, not just pastors and teachers, but each one of us with things which are good for the body of Christ, that are good for our fellow believers, and he expects us to use them. And I want you to notice here that Jesus is talking about faithful and wise servants. He's not telling us how they get that way. See, we're not working our way there by doing these things. We do these things because of who we are in Christ. We understand a faithful and wise servant is one who has put his faith or her faith in Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to tell us uh, what such a person looks like in verse 46. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. You see, when Christ returns or when we leave this world to go to him, what we will have been doing is fulfilling our responsibilities to our brothers and sisters. It's what he's going to find us doing if we come, if he comes back, or if we go to him using what we have for the sake of others. We will be at our post. We will remain at our post. You see, Christ has come, and our lives are different. There has been a change in our direction. And we fail all the time, I I know that, but we keep on keeping on. There is, as one person described it, this, this long obedience in the same direction. It is who we are. It's what we do. And this tells us what our heart looks like and where our sympathies lay. And it tells us where our fellowship is, that is our friendship, And it's not with the world. It's with followers of Christ. You see, we hear about our brothers and sisters. They're being persecuted for their faith, whether it's in this country or across the seas. And our heart goes out to them. We want to help them. We, We pray for them. We hate the injustice of it all. We feel inadequate to to the need, which ought to make us, of course, turn to the only one who is ever adequate. That's our God. He always is adequate and more. He is our everything. Everything. 
But it's not, however, just pity that motivates us. You see, we find our hearts at home whenever we find ourselves among believers. Whatever the circumstances, in trials, yes, but in times of joy, too. In everyday life, our hearts are at home when we're with the people of God. Let me ask you something. Does that describe you? I mean, maybe you have some fears, maybe some doubts. And you may not want to be presumptuous, but but does it describe you? Not that you're perfect. Not that you never make a mistake. Not that you never sin. Not that you never fail. but, But is it the place that you always go back to when you do fail or do sin? Does it describe you? Or do you wish that it did? Well, if so, then take heart, because only those who already belong to Christ, or those who are on the verge of coming to him, those to whom he is calling to himself right now, only those ever want that. The lost don't know what that desire is. Their way, the way of the world, their sin, that's what they know. Only the believer or someone who is ready to step into the kingdom knows that desire. And if you know it, then rejoice in it. If you want it and don't have it, then get it. Call on the name of Christ. And if you do, it will be good for you when you meet Jesus. Yeah, that's what Jesus says. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. That almost sounds like an understatement. But that's how Jesus said it. It will be good. (laughs) There will be nothing bad there. No shame. No condemnation. No fear. No sin, no worry about sin anymore. No failures, no more sadness, no more sorrow, no more tears, no insecurities, no doubts, no hesitations. It will just simply be good. Pure good. All good. Forever and ever. Verse 47 tells us a little more about that day. We will enjoy all that Jesus has to give us. He says, truly, I tell you, he, that is the master Jesus himself, will put him in charge of all of his possessions. All that Jesus has will be ours. Now, I have to tell you, I know it's hard for us to think that way. See, because of our sin, we are always accustomed to thinking in terms of yours and mine. And because of sin... We have to think in those terms in order to keep a just society. But in that day, in, in that day, sin will no longer be. In that day, we will realize that in all, all of it belongs to us. The kingdom, the world, Christ, and God, and one another, the animals, and the land and the sea and the air and the wealth of the nations it all belongs to us because it belongs to Christ and he gives it to us you know when I was uh, 
younger, I could never um, go to some glorious landscape, whether it was a view uh, of standing on a beach looking at the Atlantic or, or a hill looking down on a stream or a lake or standing on the top of a mountain and seeing miles of this good earth without wishing that I could own that place. Until one day, Anne and I um, took a hike to the top of a mountain to an overlook on a mountain that we had never been to before and I saw that view and it was absolutely breathtaking and somehow I knew for the first time I understood that that beauty was not meant for me alone I mean it was meant for me but not just for me and I just rejoiced that that was the truth it was mine, but it was, was more mine because it belonged to everyone else than if I had been able to buy the land and build my house there. It was so much mine that I could say, come and see what I have to show you. And it belongs to you also. You see, Christ will give his all to us because he has given his all for us. That's what we have waiting for us. If we belong to him. If we put our faith in him. That's what Christ has prepared for his people. Now doesn't that make you glad? Doesn't that bring joy to your heart? And I have a question for you. If that is spoken to you this morning, if you know what that joy tastes like, if you can sit there right now and know that that's yours because of what Christ has done, don't you want to go tell someone about what you have So they can have it too. Christ will give his all to us because he has given his all for us. Would you pray with me, please? Thank you, Lord, for the things we learn from your word. Thank you for what you have done in our hearts, what you've accomplished. Father, um, help us to rejoice in what you've given us. And if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you as his or her Lord and Savior, I pray, gracious God, that they will turn to you and find that eternal life and forgiveness for their sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So bring him incense, gold, and myrrh, compass, and king to own the king of kings, salvation.
wonderful and blessed week.